Well, good morning. My name is Tanner. I'm a pastor candidate here at Antioch, and we're going to wrap up our final uh, sermon in our Advent series entitled Behold Our God. So as I said a couple weeks ago, we did two sermons looking towards the first coming of Christ in the, in the incarnation and the birth narrative, and then two sermons that help us uh, reflect together and look ahead at the second coming of Christ, because Advent is just a word that means arrival. So we're, we're reflecting on the first coming while we're waiting on the second coming. That's what we set aside time for every year to do. And in God's wisdom, this Sunday, the last Sunday of the year, uh, we're going to look ahead at Christ's second coming. It's New Year's Eve. We're on the, the precipice, the a cliff looking into 2024. And who knows what's coming? Only the Lord. But for the most of us, our life after today, on January 1, 2024, is going to keep just clipping along at the same pace that it has been. We're going to be in something new, but something the same. We who've been waiting are going to keep waiting. And that's a heavy reality of just sitting with the normalness of a changing year. But as we wait, know this, that Jesus, in Jesus Christ, we have a great shepherd. That's what we'll look at this morning, that in Jesus Christ, we have a great shepherd who, as David writes in Psalm 23, guides us along the right path for his name's sake and who comforts us as we endure the days ahead, whatever they are and whatever comes, we have a great shepherd who's walking with us. So if you have your Bible, let's open them together. We're going to be in Acts 9, Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 18. If you're using one of the Bibles in the chairs, that's on page 917. The title of our sermon this morning is Our Great Shepherd, and our main point comes directly from it, that Jesus Christ is the great shepherd who comforts his church. One of the, just side notes, one of the themes in the book of Acts and, and throughout the New Testament that I think we don't talk about enough is one of the characteristics of the New Testament church is that it's definitively comforted by the Spirit. Jesus promised to send the comforter, and the church is marked by that spirit of comfort as it waits for the Lord. As we work through the passage, we'll outline it in, in these three ways. Jesus is the great shepherd who watches over his church. He brings the lost into his fold, and he strengthens and sends them to the nations. So today's passage is a little bit longer, so we're going to work through the text together. But with that said, we still want to posture our hearts in a way where we say together, Church, the Lord has spoken, and respond. Amen. So fun fact about me is that I'm just a super introverted person. Uh, I'm, I'm very independent. I like walks and thinking and live between my ears a lot. And that is just the reality of just who I am, who the Lord made me. But it also, the same exact time, like I love being around people and collaborating and inviting others into my life. And so Amy Mahalov can testify to this. We, we are like 
uh, the same person in this regard, is that we're constantly conflicted. Right? We want to be like by ourselves and in our heads, but then we love being around people and involving others. And one of the things that this, just how the Lord made me, that makes it difficult for me, is that often when I like need help, I don't ask for it. I try to just work it out on my own. I try to be the independent. Often when people offer help, I'm slow to accept it or just sort of disregard it. I, I act like it's not a big deal. And where this has come out lately for me is just in the area of parenting. One of the most humbling parts about becoming a parent is that I'm suddenly, without volunteering for it, like needy and weak and lack a lot of things. Like, I didn't, I didn't sign up for that part, right? I just wanted to be a dad. But one of the best parts about this reality of involuntary neediness is, like, my dad knows. He knows that, like, I need help, even when I don't ask for it. And I can pretend, like, life isn't challenging, but my dad still knows. When I was 18 and in college, I could pretend, like, everything was cool. He'd call me, hey, you doing all right? Yeah, I'm doing fine. Yeah, don't need anything. When I got married, just me and Kathleen, hey, you guys doing okay? You need anything? No, nah, we're, we're good. Everything's okay. And I struggled in college, and we struggled as a young married couple, but we could hide it. We could pretend like we weren't having issues. We weren't facing life. Life wasn't hitting us hard. But you have a toddler... And, like, he knows. He knows what it's like to have a toddler. He knows what it's like to wrestle with careers and families and homeownerships and whatever. Like, that's, that's a reality that he's well acquainted with. And I can't hide it. And you know what? That's really comforting. Not that, like, I'm picking up the phone every day and being like, hey, like, I, I need a lot of stuff. But it's comforting to know that my dad knows that, like, I need help. That I need him even if I don't have to ask for it. Because it doesn't matter how independent and self-sufficient you are, that's where I think it hits all of us, if it were not for the grace of God, every one of us is one crisis or failure away from being in a pool of humiliation. We are not our own. We can't keep ourselves. And we all stand in great need. And deep down, we all long, no matter how independent we are, deep down, we all long to be comforted. Definitively and finally comforted. As Psalm 100 verse 3 reminds us, Jesus is God. Jesus, our Lord, is our great shepherd. It is he who made us. We are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And as we look at our passage this morning, the church in Acts is facing a life-threatening crisis that they need a great shepherd to walk with them through. Our first point, he watches over his church. And there are two ways, being verses 1 through 9, there are two ways that I think we see Jesus watching over his church in these verses. One, he protects. He stands in the road and keeps enemies out. Two, he rescues. He goes and finds his lost sheep sometimes miraculously turning wolves into sheep. It's amazing. Verse 1, But Paul, 
still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So if you're familiar with the early chapters of Acts, you know what kind of threat the church in Acts is facing. In Acts 1 through 3, everything's going great, just swimmingly. The disciples are preaching the good news. They're they're telling of Jesus's resurrection. People are becoming Christians. They're getting baptized. There's fellowship. There's meals. But then in Acts 4, Peter and John are put into prison and charged to stop speaking of the resurrection. In Acts 5, Satan launches an attack of spiritual warfare on the church from the inside through a couple named Ananias, different than the one we're going to read about, and Sapphira. And the apostles are arrested again. In Acts 6, there's a deacon in the church named Stephen who's falsely accused of blasphemy, suffers a rigged trial, and then is executed through stoning. And in Acts 8, we learn that that Paul... He's going to be called Saul in this narrative as well. Is the one who oversaw and approved of Stephen's execution. That he was ravaging the church. Going from house to house. Dragging men and women into prison. For proclaiming the name and resurrection of Jesus. And it's in response to this ravaging. That the church starts to spread out into the areas surrounding Jerusalem. Paul, you hear the language? Paul is like a ravenous wolf. Listen to the beastly words that describe him. Verse 1, he's breathing threats. Everything he inhales and exhales are murderous threats. In Acts 26, verse 9, Paul himself describes this state of his life as being in a raging fury, madness. He's on the prowl, looking for sheep to devour but jesus is the great shepherd as he says in john 10 11 through 12 the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep the hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep so when he sees the wolf coming he abandons the sheep and runs away the wolf attacks and the flock scatters the great shepherd protects he stands in the road and keeps enemies out Look down to verse 3. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And the voice answered him, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. So Paul might have left a wake of destruction behind him. A wolf that struck the sheep and they scattered. But it is the Lord himself who stands in the road and says, no more. I'm putting an end to this. Stop. And we've looked at similar types of encounters like this one before. We've we've talked a lot in the last months about Sinai and Moses and Elijah and the transfiguration. That's why it's sort of the thing that's motivating our series called Behold Our God, that when God shows up, we fall to our faces and everything changes. 
And when God appears in the fullness of his glory, there is blazing light and he speaks and men tremble. And Paul's a good student. He knows all about Moses and Elijah. He knows about blazing light and the sounds of of the thunderous voice of God. And he also thinks he's doing the right thing for persecuting blasphemous Christians. And so when the voice shows up, like this is Paul's moment. But it's totally different. Paul recognizes the significance of the sign and responds like the prophets of old. And he addresses the voice as Lord. But this is different. How does Jesus respond in verse 5? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It's interesting. I thought Paul was persecuting Christians. Not Jesus. But Jesus is the great shepherd who smells like his flock. He walks among them. He's not just some hired hand who clocks in and out. He identifies himself with his people. And in this moment, Paul comes face to face with the reality that he is talking to the resurrected Jesus Christ as Lord. The very message that he was opposing. The great shepherd stands in the way and says, no more. Antioch, take comfort this morning knowing that there are threats facing you today. There are threats you don't know about, that I don't know about, that Jesus Christ himself is restraining. That he is standing in the way and saying, you can't come this far. Right now, in his grace, for his glory, for your good. That he who neither sleeps nor slumbers watches over his church and protects her from those who breathe murderous threats against her. We are the sheep of his pasture. We are not our own and we belong to him. And you might be worried about many things, but take comfort in the reality that Christ himself is watching over you. And he knows what troubles you and he cares for you. Not only does he protect, but he watches over his flock by rescuing. He goes out and finds his lost sheep, and sometimes miraculously turning sheep into wolves, or wolves into sheep. Blah. Right? Rewind the tape. Uh, So in this moment, Paul's also faced with the reality that if he's going to continue worshiping the God he has known and obeyed his whole life, that he's going to have to submit to the reality of Jesus, to the truthfulness of the resurrection. To the fulfillment of both the law and the prophets. Verse 7. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless. Hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were open he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. So often in the ancient world you traveled in groups. Just like some parts of of today. Like we just... You don't go places by yourself. And so when you traveled from city to city, you traveled in groups. And Paul's with these companions. Keep him safe. They can't keep him safe from Jesus. They see the light and all fall to the ground. But perhaps maybe they don't see it as intensely as Paul. Maybe. We know they hear a voice, but they don't understand it. Paul says later in chapter 22 of Acts. We also learn later that 
the voice talking to Paul is speaking in the Hebrew language, so maybe that's why they didn't understand. But what, whatever the case is, the message is simple, that this, this is a moment, a revelation, Jesus coming to Paul specifically. That he makes himself known to whoever he wants to make himself known to. I was reminded this week of John chapter 10 still, verse 16, where Jesus says, I have other sheep who are not of this sheep pen, and I must bring them in also, and they too will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Later in verse 27, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And that's what we get here, that at the sound of Jesus' voice, the predator wolf knows the voice of his Lord, and he's found. What amazing grace it is that Jesus would make enemies his friends. And what amazing power that he has to do it. And maybe that's why we're instructed by Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew to pray for our enemies. To pray for those who persecute us. Because not only is he willing to make enemies his friends and our enemies our friends, but he also has the power to do it. To stand in the way. To say no more. And to rescue lost sheep. Is that not all of our stories? If it were not for the grace and the power of the Lord, we all at some point in life were either doing violence on the kingdom of God or about to. On our way to. And you might have become a Christian later in life. Praise God. He stopped us dead in our tracks. Because who knows? What sort of evil we were going to do. Maybe you were a follower of Jesus at an early age. And all you've ever known is church and Sunday morning and fellowships. Praise God. That's grace. That's power. Because if you were in Christ, you were born with a wolf-like heart. Just like Paul. And Jesus stopped you. And said, no more. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, like I don't have to tell you just the depths of your own heart. You know them. And maybe you're wondering if you have what it takes to turn things around, but you don't. Because you were born with a wolf-like heart too. And only Jesus, the great shepherd, can call you home and give you a new heart that loves God and loves God's people. You have to know his voice and he has to be your great shepherd. And that's exactly what Paul does. He submits to the shepherding of Jesus. He's blind. He's he's not independent. He's not individualistic anymore. He has to be led by the hands into Damascus. And what does he do? He obeys. He waits for further instructions. From who? From Jesus. He listens to the great shepherd. What a great comfort it is as we face the days ahead between now and Jesus' return to know that this is how he's watching over us. He's keeping evil at bay, (laughs) saying no more. And he's also miraculously turning evil to good, changing wolves into sheep. It's not all. He also brings the lost into his fold, our second point. So it wouldn't be very comforting if Jesus was just like stopping people and saying, no more, you know, follow me, but then like just leaving them there, right? 
that wouldn't be very comforting, is when we just have like a bunch of individual Jesus followers out in the world. Be helpful. But one of the themes in Acts that Luke wants us to know is that God always sends a messenger. God always sends a messenger. When someone is, is converted, God sends someone else to talk to them. A messenger on his behalf. A human agent who can teach and disciple. It's an important thing to know and it's what we're called to do. We are called as Christians to represent Christ to one another. On his behalf. When we get coffee with one another. The main goal of getting coffee and spending time is not to like catch up to speak wisdom into one another's life, to, you know, whatever, whatever that is. Those things might happen. But the main goal when we get together and have coffee or spend time together is to represent Jesus Christ to one another on his behalf. That's what we are called to do. To love one another on behalf of Christ, to bring each other face to face with the resurrected Jesus as the great shepherd ministers through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we see Ananias getting ready to do. Verse 10. There's a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. He said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying and he's seen in a vision a man named Ananias come and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. So Jesus sends a representative named Ananias. How we know he's, this is what Ananias is called to do? Well, one, he responds like a prophet. So he says, he said, Lord says his name, and he goes, Here I am, Lord, which we've seen time and time again in the Old Testament as God calls his prophets. Who do what? Prophets represent God and his word to God's people. They bring God's word to God's people. It's an extraordinary story. It's intense. There's lights, there's thunderous voices, there's, there's blindness and miraculous healings. But don't miss the ordinary means by which Jesus is bringing Paul into his fold. Yes, there are visions and healings, but the vision comes to and the healings come through an ordinary faithful disciple that doesn't involve the apostles, just Ananias who we don't really hear from again. And not only is Ananias an ordinary disciple, his faith is pretty ordinary. He's not like willingly ready to jump at the first sound of Jesus' voice. What does he say? Are you sure you got the right guy? Look at verse 13. Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he's done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. Are you sure? Paul? That guy? But Jesus knows his sheep. And that includes both Paul and Ananias. He is great shepherd over them both. And just as he intentionally stood in the road to stop Paul, he also intentionally comes to Ananias as his representative to welcome Paul into his fold. And the same is true for each of us. Jesus is the great shepherd who comforts his church as he works through us to welcome the lost into the fold. It's no mistake that you know the people you know. 
The ones who are asking questions, searching, doubting, struggling in their faith. Jesus, the great shepherd, wants to work through you. So that they might know of his grace and his power. It's also not a coincidence if you find yourself in proximity of mature Christians. While you yourself are struggling with faith or having doubts or searching. Because Jesus, the great shepherd, is working through them to reach you. To help you encounter the resurrected Jesus as he works through them. And as we look forward to Christ's return, this is the kind of awareness that we need as we wait. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Our great shepherd has called us to confront darkness, not with physical weaponry, but with spiritual armor. As he works through us, his followers, to welcome the lost into the fold. This is how he comforts his church. And it's what he does through Ananias. Our third point, final point, he strengthens and sends them to the nations. Verse 15, but the Lord said to Ananias, go for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So first, the Lord strengthens and sends out Ananias, and then second, he strengthens and sends out Paul. So first, Ananias. What does he strengthen Ananias with? He he strengthens him with the assurance of his shepherding, his lordship. Here's what I mean. Paul is Christ's chosen instrument who will carry his name before the nations. Ananias, Jesus is Paul's Lord. That's what he uses to strengthen him. Admittedly, sometimes I struggle with Ananias. My own just... Uh, critical heart towards things. Are you sure you've got that right, Lord? That person doesn't do it the way I'd do it. He didn't say it the way I'd say it. You sure you got the right guy? And at these moments, here's what the Holy Spirit often reminds me with and calms my critical heart. Jesus is their Lord too. No, it's not how I would do it. But Jesus is their Lord, just like he's mine. And I might not say it that way, but Jesus is their Lord, just like he's mine. And I will have to give an account of the life that I live before him. And so will they. And that doesn't excuse us from the responsibility of representing Christ to one another. That's, that's still a principle. We still represent Christ and call out sin and call one another to repentance and love one another in pursuit of Jesus. But it does help us put put us in our place. We are not lords over one another. We have one shepherd. and We're all followers of him. Ananias will have to give an account of how he responds to Jesus's directive here. And thankfully, we have an example of faithfulness. And so will Paul, his chosen instrument. So effectively, Jesus says and strengthens Ananias with, I'm his Lord. He listens to me now. And that's comforting. Next, he strengthens Paul. 
So in verse 12, Jesus tells Ananias that Paul has also received a vision. It's not recorded. We don't know what what was in this vision that Paul has received other than that Ananias is going to come and give him his sight back. There's also likely that Paul received in this vision the additional revelation that Jesus tells Ananias that he's his chosen instrument to take the message to the Gentiles and that Ananias later confirms. So I think there's like two people who know the same thing about Paul. Paul received it in a vision, Ananias received it in a vision, Ananias confirms it to Paul. It's a little bit confusing of the ordering, but it's all the same, that Paul's going to be Jesus' appointed servant, he's going to be an eyewitness to the physical resurrection of Jesus that he saw on the road, he's going to suffer for this, he's going to be sent to the nations, Acts 26 tells us, Paul says that he's going to be sent to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in Jesus. So Paul, while being blind, receives revelation that he will be sent to open eyes of those who are spiritually blind. But before he can do that, he needs to be strengthened. His own eyes need to be opened. So how does Jesus do it? Verse 17, Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. And then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. Again, Ananias, the representative of Jesus, obeys, does exactly what he's told, goes to Paul and addresses him as brother, a title that recognizes Paul as one who now belongs to Christ. And Jesus works through Ananias by the power of the Spirit. Paul receives the Holy Spirit and his sight is restored. He's baptized, most likely by Ananias. He's strengthened by food. He's been fasting out of obedience to Christ. And in verse 20, we learn that only several days later, Paul is found in the synagogues preaching the name and resurrection of Jesus. It's amazing. But don't miss this. Paul is strengthened and sent out through the ordinary obedience of an ordinary disciple who also needed to be strengthened before he could be sent out. In Antioch, as we stand in time between Jesus' first and second coming, we need the comforting reminder that he is shepherding his church, and this is how he's doing it. Through ordinary means of grace to strengthen and send us to the nations. And by ordinary means of grace, I just mean what this passage is teaching, that God is graciously using faithful disciples in the everyday life of the church to help us grow and become more like Jesus as we serve one another in his name. That's how he's shepherding us. That's how he's strengthening us and sending us out to proclaim his name among the nations. Does that sound familiar at all? Does it sound like our declaration? That we pursue intentional gospel relationships, representing Christ to the lost and to one another. Why? So that we might proclaim Christ's glory among the nations. This is how... Jesus is doing that. It's how he's shepherding us. 
And it obviously made an impact on Paul's understanding of what it means to be sent by Christ. In 2 Corinthians 4, Paul writes that the God of this age, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. Christ who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord and ourselves is your servants. He's our shepherd. We're just your servants for his sake, on his behalf. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has made light shine in our wolf-like hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Jesus Christ. Without Christ, we are like Paul's companions on the road, eyes open, seeing nothing. But through Christ, God's light pushes out the darkness of our wolf-like hearts and gives us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of the resurrected Christ. Behold our God. Only in Him, our great shepherd, are we definitively, finally comforted. And while we wait in the tension of His return, let's take comfort in this truth that He is our great shepherd who watches over us, who brings the lost in, who strengthens us, and who sends us out into the nations. We belong to him alone. On the night that Jesus was betrayed by his enemies, he prepared a table in the presence of his enemy for his disciples to comfort them, to strengthen them with a sign of his return. He said, took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. And then the same way, took a cup of wine, and after blessing it, passed it around, said, take, drink. This is the new covenant marked by the shedding of my blood. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink from this cup, you're proclaiming the Lord's death until what? he returns. So Antioch today, we're proclaiming this, that Jesus is our great shepherd. Our tradition here at Antioch is to form two lines to come forward to take a piece of bread and dip it in the juice. There will be uh, pastors in the back if you need to pray with anyone. As you come forward, know this, that this, this meal is for those who, are, who belong to Christ and have been baptized in his name. If you're not a baptized follower of Jesus, this is not for you, but we would encourage you to take Christ himself as he's made himself available to you in the preaching of his word and as we would gladly share with you in the back and pray with you if you have a need. Let's pray together. Our great shepherd, we come before you today as those standing in great need. Great need to be cared for and comforted as we walk in the tension of today and tomorrow, as we await a new year, but as we ultimately await your return. Jesus, would you comfort our hearts? We're worried by many things. We're anxious about life, what we will what we'll do tomorrow, how we'll live, the choices we'll make, but you are our great shepherd you comfort us through the Spirit as we eat and drink together 
and reflect, look forward to your return. We ask this in your name. Amen.